This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Do you know, I've been speaking for over 30 years. Never before has prophecy set up my sermon. I am so amazed at what's gone before. Because what I'm speaking on today is this. Have ridiculous praise, ridiculous faith. A ridiculous prayer. And ridiculous isn't funny. It's extraordinary. Because we have to be ridiculous Christians. You know, we say we need to be normal. But we need to be normal in some ways. In other ways, we need to be absolutely out there. When I was on holidays recently, we went up, I went to Ibiza, my husband and I, Party Island. And we, and me and Rog, and we, there was a viewing platform where you could look over the bay in Sandilalia. So we walked up, and it was quite up. We arrived at this huge round area, um, and uh, you could see the whole of the bay. And behind us were, was woodland. And there wasn't a sound there, apart from a few little insects. There wasn't a ship on the sea. It was, wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was so wonderful. And we sat on the wall in the shade. And after a few minutes, I heard a noise. And Epit comes laughing and shouting. And three young teenage boys, around about 14 to 16, burst onto the scene. And they were looking at the view. And they were so excited. And there was a rope cordoning off the edge of the cliff. Because there was a sheer drop down to the sea. And they were over that. And I thought, oh, my word. They're going to ruin my holidays. They're going to fall into the sea. And then they came from there. And they were up in the woods. And they were whipping my pigs, making pig noises. Because I'm sure they were looking to find old um, wild boar up there. And I sat there. And I, do you know what sometimes you hear? what the spirit is saying. I don't mean here, but you, you feel something. It was this. They haven't come and disturbed the shade. They've brought life. And very often, what we want to do is sit in the shade. We want to sit in the shade of our Christian life. We don't really want to be disturbed. And life brings with it exuberance and excitement, and a, a, a danger, you know. We're prepared to go out on a limb for him. We're prepared to look for things. And I saw it as clearly as a bed that we sit in our inevitability, and we sit sometimes in fate, and we say, it'll never happen. It'll never happen for me. And it's not going to happen, and it won't happen. And these are the words that we speak. And I started to think about all of this, because there's only one shade you should sit in, and that's the shadow of his wings of Psalm 91, which is the safety and security of God. That's the only shade we should be sitting in. And then I came home, and I heard this song, and I think we're going to play the video now. So just listen to this, because this sets up all the rest. This year, as a, a Bethel Music family, a few days before Christmas, most of you guys probably were a part of this miracle, but we watched um, Joel and Janie Taylor's little son, Jackson, and he was, a few days before Christmas, airlifted to intensive care, 
and we begin to fight for Jackson's life. How many of you guys joined in that fight and that symphony of prayer that rose up for a little boy? And a couple, couple weeks into the fight, we got a text one night from Joel that they weren't sure if he was going to make it through the night. And as soon as I heard and read the message, it was like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. And I just, I just thought, Jackson's going to die tonight. We're not going to see the miracle. And as this giant stood in front of me, all of a sudden, out of my gut, this song started coming out right in the face of the giant. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. As that giant was looking at us, I knew he was going to regret the day he ever pointed his sword at Jackson. Just as Goliath pointed his sword at David, the sword Goliath pointed at David became the sword the little boy picked up and took the giant's head off with. And as we watched this miracle happen in Jackson's body, it was like this giant of unbelief was falling. And our community just began to sing this song. It was just one note in the symphony of prayer rising for his life. So I want to teach it to you this morning. Let's sing. I raise a hallelujah.
How do you praise God when a child is dying? How would you do that? But you see, if you believe in the God that just prophesied to us, if you believe in that God, then you can praise him. Surely you can praise him. No matter what, it's all to do with what you think God is. Who do you think God is? What do you think God is? What do you think he can do for you? Where do you go when you've got the need? That's what you're saying. Look, he's great. He's over all. We can praise him. And you can have exuberant praise. And you can have crazy praise. Let me tell you about exuberant praise. There's a guy in the Bible called David. And the Ark of the Covenant had been in, in, in the hands of the enemies. And the Ark comes back. And the Ark signified the presence of God among his people. And David is delighted. So he sings and dances before the Ark. But he takes off his clothes. Now, people say David danced naked before the Ark. He was not naked. Right? So there's boys keeping kegs on. He was not <laughs> naked. What he did was he took off his kingly robes and he put on an ephod, which is the, 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 the robe of the priest. You can't come before God in your princely, on your kingly robes. You got, do you understand? So he took that off. He took off everything about himself. He took off his standing. He took off the way the people viewed him. Because his wife was looking in on this and she was horrified. Yeah. Horrified. She said, what do you think you're doing? She said, dancing there in front of the servant girls. Without those clothes on, you're making a fool of yourself. And David's reaction was, I'll become even more undignified than this. We used to sing a song about that years ago. I'll become even more undignified than this. Because in Revelation, do you know what? Even the 24 elders in front of the throne cast their crowns before him. He is the only king. So when you enter into the place of the king, and I've got the verse. I'll forget all the verses that I've got down here. I never say it. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So when you enter in, in this praise, not wearing your crowns, not wearing your standing, not wearing your status, not wearing your reputation, not wearing your beauty. When you take it all off before him and say, you're the king, you're great. What we've sung earlier is what we say in private. It's no good singing it here if we don't say it in private to him. At the best of times and the worst of times. Because it's easy to sing when everything's going great. It's very hard to praise when things are not. It's tough. How do you thank God? How do you praise God in the midst of the most awful things that's happening? And for that, you look at Job. You have to look at Job. It reckons that Job, everything that happened to Job happened in about 18 months, somebody says. So in 18 months, I don't know if it's true or not, but... So first of all, he loses his business, who's a very wealthy man. Lost all his business. That didn't work. And the whole aim of Satan was to get him to curse God, get him not to praise God. Now, listen up, Satan acts in our lives. Things are allowed so that we stop praising. 
That's the whole purpose of it. Watch them now when I bring something into their lives. Let, now you can look and see now whether Iron will praise you. I've had to go through this. We've had a tough time in our family where you have to go to the thing and choose. Yes, I'll praise you. Yes, you're worthy. Yes, all of us came through it individually, differently. But all of us had to make the choice. And that's his tack on us. Will they praise you? Right? Job then lost all his children. All of them. Do you know what he said? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then, he loses his health. His friends come alongside him and say, you're a sinner. He loses his reputation. Then he loses his wife, who tells him to curse God and die. So Job loses every mortal thing. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives, and that one day out of this flesh I shall see him. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Can you praise God in the tough times? Because what happens to Job is, and here's the amazing thing about praise, if God inhabits the praises of his people, then when you enter into praise, you enter into that place where he is. And then you see God differently. Yeah. Nothing will allow you to see God in a new light more than praising him. I don't think we understand it. I don't understand it. But what happens to Job is right at the end, there's a lot of Job for me to get through, but right at the end he says, it says this, I heard about you. I've heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's where he comes to. So the tough times are not there to get us out of praise. It's to give us a revelation of who Christ is. It's to give us a fresh revelation of who Christ is. And then things change in us. It's called, you pray, the divine exchange occurs. It occurs in praise. It occurs in worship. When Paul praised when he was whipped raw for not doing anything wrong, when he and Silas were placed in the prison cells and they were praising God, things happened. The prison doors burst open and people were saved. If you want to make a difference, church, we have to be a church that praises. Not just here on a Sunday morning. Not just when everybody's looking. Not just when the music suits us. Not just when we like it and I like this song. It's a very cheap watch. It was only one ninety-nine off Amazon. So it falls off every now and again. <laughs> but oh, a bit like the old apostolic preachers. I've forgotten where I was now. But can you see? It, it's not any of those things. But can you praise him? In the quiet of your house, of your room, when you were going through the toughest of times. God says, now I'll show myself to you. I'll reveal myself to you. And wow, it'll make a difference. Because that leads to ridiculous faith. That's what Ruth was talking about. That ridiculous faith that trusts God in everything. Yeah. Hebrews 11 says this. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We all know the verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, not, 
see, must believe not only that he exists, it says in some other places, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, that he is good to those who earnestly seek him. We have to believe two things about God. One, that he exists, and two, that he's good. So when the doubt of good comes in, we're not really in faith, are we? And ridiculous faith, this is what C.S. Lewis says, real faith believes God, that he is, no, sorry, that's the verse. Real faith, relying on God, has to start all over, every day, as if nothing has yet been done. Do you understand that? So you can't have faith last week. You have to have faith today. Your faith today has to be renewed every day in Christ. And you can only do that if you come close to him. So what about ridiculous faith then? Well, there's no inevitability in faith. And there's no faith. Faith simply believes God. That's what real faith is. Simply believing God. You believe his word. And you trust his word. And the one that you're going to... The the greatest faith that we hear about in scripture is the faith of Abraham. Now you can trudge through chapters and chapters in um, the Old Testament. Or you can go to Romans and um, Hebrews. And you can have all his life there in about eight verses. So that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) So Romans. This is what it says about Romans 4 it is. This is, the, this is the message. I'm sorry I'm struggling, but there's no verses in it, um, numbers. It's, it's, so I've got to look. Right. We call Abram father. I'm going to read this, these because it's good. Not because he got God's attention by being like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. That's all of us, isn't it? Not saints, just nobodies. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life. With a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body would never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously sceptical questions. Don't we do that? Don't we do that with a promise? Cautiously sceptical, not quite certain, I don't know. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God. Sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abram was declared fit before God by trusting him to set it right. The other version says that, being fully persuaded that what he was promised, he was able also to perform. That, I was 21 years of age, just become a Christian, when that promise was given me. 
And somebody prophesied over me then, years later, keep us seeking your word, Lord, to find your promises for her. And that's what I've done. That's what I've done with the promise. Before I came here, somebody prophesied over me a huge promise, a massive promise. And then something happened. So that when I came here, I was totally broken. Totally broken. I thought, well, there we are. That promise can be put aside because it's not going to come about. And the past things that I've done, that's gone. I won't, be, I won't do those anymore. But God has a new life for me. Can I tell you the six years on, he's given me back everything and more that I thought I'd given up. But more than that, that promise, Pastor Phil prophesied over me the exact same words when I came here. I don't think you even know this. Not only did he say it once in private, he said it once, prophesied it here in public. So I'll tell you what the promise is, as God has made it public. You will see everything you want come about. That's my promise. That comes true, you all get in on the promise. So you better pray that promise comes true for me. I promise you that if that happens, when it happens, all of you get in on it. Because the promise that we get is to bless others, not just ourselves. Abraham was a father of many nations. He was a blessing to all. That was what he was given. God can raise from the dead the things that you think are lost. He can renew those things that you think have gone. He can restore. He can do all things. And when you believe that the end will be better than the beginning, you know, that your sickness isn't going to last forever. I broke my ankle. You know I broke my ankle. I've said it many times, I broke my ankle. <laughs> I surgery. People prayed here for me, and they prayed that I would be well, that it would heal quickly, and that there would be no residual um, pain or, or problems. And at 72 years of age, I have to tell you that the physiotherapists and the surgeons were amazed at how quickly I'd healed. God answers his prayer to you. So we can have absolute faith in him. It's ridiculous faith. It's ridiculous faith to believe he's gonna, that he can bring to life those things that are dead. But that's what Abraham did. If you go on to Romans, it says that he believed that he was dead. That Isaac was dead. That he had taken him up and he had killed him. But he believed God had promised that it was through Isaac the promise would come. God would raise him from the dead. He was prepared to kill his own son in the belief that God would raise him from the dead. That's faith. I haven't got that yet. I'm not there. I'm not there. But can you see? Faith is amazing. It opens the hands of God to us. But you have to go into his presence and see him in order to have this faith. You have to know him in order to have this faith. And then, what happens with Abraham is, which I find pretty amazing, at a hundred, he was impotent. Right? Then, God comes along and he has Isaac. But after Sarah dies, what happens to Abraham? Who 
come on. Marries again and has more children. What kind of craziness is that? He's impotent at 100 because his body is good as dead. At 120, he's having more kids. See, so God doesn't just give you a blessing for now. It goes on. He's not going to bless you for five minutes. And you're afraid it's going to be lost. He'll bless you and bless you. Job, the same thing happened with Job. At the end of his life, Job had restored everything he thought he'd lost. His wife made up with him because they had more children. Hmm? His friends who had criticized him and called him a sinner and said awful things about him. Suddenly, he had his reputation back. He was healed. God can restore everything. I believe, absolutely believe, that the end of your life can be better than the beginning. I believe that a relationship restored can be better than it was in the, in the, uh, before it got broken. Because he restores absolutely. He restores completely. He restores perfectly. And that restoration is kept going. He doesn't just leave us. He is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And faith holds on to it. Ridiculous faith that believes that God can raise the dead. Got that faith? Hmm? Got faith for healing? Got faith for restoration? Got faith for revival? Got faith for the church, as we heard on Thursday night, that 2020 is going to be out of this church. Have you got faith for that? And you're missing out if you don't come to your David Waters, let me tell you. You are missing out, church. You are truly missing out because the year is amazing. But if 2020 is to be our year and God has told us that, do you think we can at least believe it and start to praise him for it and start to have faith in him for it? Hmm? And Job is asked to pray for his friends because they've displeased God by speaking wrongly about Job. Every one of us has been in a place where we've needed prayer for saying the wrong things, running off at the mouth, doing things we shouldn't do, thinking things we shouldn't think. But also, we're also put in a place where we have to pray for people who've done that. It's the double-edged sword, isn't it, really, of being prayed for and praying for. Which brings me to ridiculous prayer. Juliana of Norwich, don't know if anybody's heard of her. Maybe not. She was a nun in the 1600s. <laughs> so maybe not. Not recent. She's not going to be on YouTube. And she, she prays this prayer. It's a phenomenal prayer. And if you want crazy prayers, then here's one for you. And she says this. Lord, I ask you grant me three wounds. Well, there's bonkers for a start. Because who asks for a wound? Pain. The wound of contrition, the wound of compassion, and the wound of longing after you. And here's where it gets really crazy. I ask it without condition. Give me what I ask, then send me the bill. Whatever it costs will be okay with me. So D.L. Moody says, if God is your partner, 
pray big prayers. Or rather, if God is your partner, make your plans big. Pray big prayers. But if you're praying big prayers, be prepared for the cost. 2020 might be our year. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us effort. It's going to cost us money. But I also think it's going to cost us praise. It's going to cost us faith and the big prayers. It'll cost us. And are we prepared to go before God and say, without condition, what are you praying for? What's your big prayer to God? Everybody here is praying for something. What's your prayer? Are you prepared to have the prayer that says, without condition, send me the bill, whatever the cost. That's faith. That's praise. That's somebody who knows God. Because you can't pray that unless you know him and trust him. That's why it all works together. Praise, getting to know him. Faith, by believing the word. And then you can pray. So do you believe it? Are you prepared to pay the cost? Evan Roberts was. Evan Roberts was prepared. Bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. That's what his prayer was before revival. Bend me, bend me. Bend the church. And the prayer of the church became, bend the church, Lord, save the world. Evan Roberts started, the church took on. Bend the church, save the world. Plague me. That's what the song came from. Bend me, mould me, fill me. It came from that. So are we prepared to go through the moulding process? Are we prepared to go through the bending process? Are we prepared? Because if 2020 is to be our year, we need to be prepared. At least we need to say yes or no. I'll let God work in us. Because it's going to cost. Because it's going to cost. Cost Christ the cross. Didn't it? Cost Christ the cross. God had a huge plan. Huge plan. And it cost Jesus. Death and a cross. You know? But the promise is, Jesus says it. Nobody who gives up anything for me in this life will be, you will have a hundred times more in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. So he doesn't shortchange us. But if that God who spoke to us this morning is your God, and I've never, it's wonderful that he spoke. Like I say, well, he said it. But if that's your God, and if you believe everything he said, you come to the cost, are you prepared to say, have it all? If that's who you are, have it all. My time, and we get tired, and we're too tired to do it, or we're too bored to do it, or we've got excuses, and it's, um, it was Abundant Life, what's his name? Paul. Paul Scanlan, who said, if you don't do it tired, it don't get done. Yeah. <laughs> He's a blunt man, isn't he? If you don't do it tired, it don't get done. Everybody who does is tired. But you do it. Because the cost is worth it. Because Christ is worth it. Because other people are worth it. Because my prayers are worth it. Because everything is worth it. And if we're too tired to do anything, nothing will get done. Nothing will ever get changed. So it's up to us. It's up to us. So can you have 
ridiculous praise, ridiculous faith, and ridiculous prayer. And for those of us who are Welsh, and even our national anthem says that about us, glad baird a chantorion. Poets, bards, and singers who put it all together in the Welsh hymns. You know? Ridiculous hymns that come from ridiculous faith where people can write words from over Yessi Bendigedig after losing their entire family in, in, in an accident. I won't... The same, same has happened to the English hymnist who wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like seabullers roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, dwell with my soul. Out of the most horrific circumstances, praise faith and prayers so a natural anthem we're priests bards singers men of renown a gural rebel we're fighters warriors that's who we are we're meant to be worshipping warriors fighting for the truth but to have it we need to be ridiculous We've spoken too long about being normal in the church and we're afraid to be ridiculous. A little bit like Michael. Wow, look at them down there. And how ridiculous are they with their arms up in the air? How ridiculous are they believing in a load of old rubbish? I'll become more ridiculous than this. In Jesus' This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.